Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Today, I want to talk about another heavy topic that requires some grace, and that's mental health. I'm willing to bet that nearly everyone listening to me right now has either been affected by or known someone struggling with mental illness, whether you know it or not. An estimated 26% of Americans age 18 and older, that's about one in four adults, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. In 2020, suicide was the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. Most people who commit suicide have a diagnosable mental disorder, most commonly a depressive disorder or a substance abuse disorder. I've personally struggled with anxiety and depression on and off since I was about 14, and I struggled with behavioral disorders even longer than that. I didn't know what it was or how to talk about it until high school when I started medication and therapy. I rarely spoke about it. By the time I was in college, I was essentially in a state of remission and no longer needed the assistance of medication. Fast forward to the birth of my first son. From the outside, I had a perfect life. I had a good job, a brand new baby, a new house, and a doting husband. What more could I want or need? On the inside, my postpartum depression and anxiety was crippling me. Thoughts of my baby suffocating in his sleep or my husband being caught in a fiery crash on his way home from work invaded every quiet moment I had. Couple that with a newborn who refused to sleep and a demanding work schedule and you have a recipe for disaster. It felt like I was being eaten alive and no matter how hard I prayed, my sadness wouldn't cease. I couldn't do it alone anymore. I didn't want to return to medication, and I felt weak and ashamed that I couldn't handle this by myself. But I knew if this went on any longer, there wouldn't be any handling it. I still rarely spoke about it. I felt like I wasn't a good Catholic, or I wasn't praying right, that everything I was doing was wrong. And I'd heard from the few well-intentioned people that I did share with tell me that this is my cross to bear, or I should offer it up to God, or why are you so sad? Look at all the blessings God has given you and start being grateful, which made me feel even worse. I think so many of us Catholics fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing and underestimating our humanness. 
we don't tell someone with a broken arm to just get over it or someone with cancer to start being grateful for all you have and cheer up. As humans, we get physically ill, we see a doctor. And if we can get physically ill, we can also be mentally ill. But instead of seeking help in community, we suffer in silence. Why? Mental illness does not discriminate. Full stop. Robin Williams was a successful comedian. Naomi Judd had an amazing country music career. Kate Spade had a thriving business. I've personally known classmates, friends, co-workers, mothers, fathers, and even a priest who've ended their lives by suicide because of mental illness. And I'm also willing to bet that nearly all of them could have been prevented with the right help. Mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of, just like you wouldn't be ashamed of cancer. We're not called to walk alone in this journey. Today, I'm joined by Donna Nebastinsky and Tim Danko of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish, who saw a need for mental health services in their parish and decided to take action to create a community within the church that works to end the stigma of mental illness. Donna and Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about this new program that you guys are running. Could you each tell me a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm Donna. Um, I have been a member of the parish at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton for just over 30 years now. I uh, came into the Catholic Church through uh, an individual RCIA program at Millersville University when I was uh, in college. I have uh, married, my husband Joe is the manager at the radio station in Shirenstown, WHYF. Um, we have two kids, two sons, they're both married and um, have two grandkids uh, who live in Philadelphia. So just a little bit more about how I ended up at the parish as pastoral assistant, which is what my title is right now. I'm a retired elementary school teacher, public school teacher. So this is sort of a second vocation for me now. I started volunteering in the, in the role that I have, uh, did that for almost a year, ended up part-time on the payroll, and now I'm there full-time. So this is a whole new, a whole new aspect of who I am right now as pastoral assistant. And uh, my name is Tim. I've been in the parish for about 22 or 23 years now, my wife Sally and I. Um, I'm a born and raised Pennsylvania boy. My career took me out of state when I learned that I could pretty much live anywhere I wanted to, regardless of my job. I came back to Pennsylvania because I had lifelong friends here. And, uh, And we joined the parish. I eventually ended up working on the parish pastoral council. Um, then for a number of you know, kind of sidebar projects for the former pastor, Monsignor King. I come from a consulting business kind of background. Uh, retired in 2013, I narrate audiobooks part-time as kind of a sideline career. And uh, when the subject of this mental health ministry arose, it struck me that it was the right time for me to get more involved. I felt actually compelled to do something about it. I love that you guys have been able to come back to the church as like a second calling. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I understand this ministry at your parish is fairly new. How were you able to get it established and and why is it 
important to you? That's a good question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jim and I have talked about this a couple of times. Actually, what happened was during the pandemic, during the shutdown, um, I unfortunately got in the habit of doing a lot of scrolling on my phone through social media and stumbled across a Facebook page that was simply titled Trauma-Informed Parishes. And so I was following it. There wasn't a lot of information with it, but I ended up finding the person who started the page and she and I connected on a Zoom meeting uh, just to see what the program was about, thinking that, you know, perhaps it would be something that eventually we want to bring to the parish. In the course of that meeting, she said to me, well, I think you might want to be interested in, you might be interested in reaching out to this deacon. His name is Deacon Schoner, and he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, the amazing thing about that was she had no idea where I was from. I had never told her that I was from Pennsylvania to begin with. So that's what the first step of this was I reached out to Deacon Schoner, got some information on the association that he um, is creating, and, and it's still is still kind of in a creation process. It's still mm -hmm. kind of morphing and mm -hmm. developing, um, and that's where this all got started. Uh, then I somehow, and Tim and I've talked about this, we aren't really sure exactly how we ended up connecting specifically on this yeah. task. Sometimes we have coffee. Maybe it was yeah, during I one of those conversations one of those. Yeah. because Tim and I, of course, had worked together with Parish Pastoral Council too on merit projects. So I, do you remember how? I, <laughs> I think it was, you had, you had mentioned the trauma-informed parishes uh, Facebook page to me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went and explored there and found it very touching mm -hmm. um, in terms of the the thoughts that the uh, that the woman who manages the group was was offering and putting out there, and it was in fact during one of our you know mm -hmm. weekly or biweekly you know coffee and donut kind of chats that you said you thought this was something the parish should do uh, or or would be valuable for the parish. It caught me at the time because, and we'll probably get into this, because I was being the healthcare advocate for a close friend who had cancer and was encountering people who were suffering, mm. in, and not just from a physical affliction, but from dealing with the stress and the struggle of it all. Uh, so it So it struck a chord with me that, yeah, this is probably something we really need to do. So that, that's sort of how it, it jump-started. Um, we ended up taking a course with the University of San Diego. Uh, the coursework was, again, this, this university program was sponsored by Deacon Schoner and the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, which he created. Uh, so Tim and I completed the course. The final grade was you were to write a project. You were to come up with a plan for your parish to implement a mental health ministry, which we collaborated mm -hmm. on. Did very well. I believe we got A's in that class. Yeah. Um, and then uh, moving forward, we were uh, contacted by Deacon Schoner and um, offered to the opportunity to apply for a grant. The association put together a grant program. So we took that mm -hmm. plan that we put for the class and tweaked it into the grant yeah. application. We, we worked together on that. Um, and then in January, yes, I believe January. it was, early January, we were um, awarded a $10,000 grant wow. to get this ministry up and running. So we're kind of jumping in right now with, with both feet. 
Um, so it's it's been pretty exciting, pretty busy since the beginning of the yeah. calendar year, especially. So wow, that's amazing. So yeah. it's still fairly in its infancy, I would say. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's um, the the national organization that Deacon Shoner runs has been in place for about three years, but it is a it's a grassroots kind of effort, and so he's driving it pretty much from his position in the diocese of Scranton. The real work is occurring in the parishes. There are probably thirty chapters, I think give or so take. At this point, mm-hmm. um, so a, so a ministry he refers to as a chapter. So there are about thirty parishes with ministries in varying stages of formation. Most recently, I think he's initiated one in India, one in Africa, most are in the United States. Um, and as I've had a chance to look over the map, most of them are in California and the Southwest. Interestingly enough, um, and they and as I said, they're all in varying stages of maturity and formos- formation. But all of them are kind of feeling their way through this because there is no playbook, right? Yeah, and especially this day and age yeah. where everything's changing, and yeah, that's absolutely. incredible. I love that. So, talk to me a little bit about the pillars of your program and how each of them play a role in ending the stigma of mental illness. Well, ending the stigma is a huge piece to the entire uh, ministry. Um, as Tim mentioned, there are about 30 chapters. We are, except for the one in Scranton that the deacon runs, we are the only group in Pennsylvania. We are the first church in first yeah. parish in yeah. Pennsylvania outside of his ministry in Scranton to take this on. So we're very excited about that. Um, but the, the, the pillars are, it, it, it's, a, it's designed so that we could be very creative and meet the needs of the parish, meet the needs of the diocese in particular. But what we've kind of um, determined is, first of all, educational pieces for the community at large, for the parish and, and the outlying community to reduce the stigma of what it means to be able to say, I struggle with a mental illness, or I have a family member who struggles with a mental illness. Um, So that's one piece, the bringing in speakers, bringing in organizations that can provide some insight and provide some support educationally. The other piece, the big piece then, is what Deacon refers to, and we're going to refer to as well, as spiritual support groups. So spiritual support groups uh, are designed for two different audiences. The first is for those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. And then the other type of spiritual support group is for family and friends of people who are suffering and dealing with this this journey. So we are going to, in June, begin the small group, the spiritual support group for those who are struggling with a mental illness. Eventually, after we have some more training, we will add the pieces for uh, a separate group for family and friends. So spiritual support groups are basically just exactly that. There's there's no counselor, there's no therapist. It's a group of people who have come at this from a specific spiritual component who are there as um, companions to walk this walk and be supportive. Basically what happens in these small groups is that people come in, they decide on a scale of let's say one to five how well they're coping that week. The people who are having the most difficulty share their struggle first with the rest of the people in the group, and they just talk with each other and support each other. 
The other piece then too, the third kind of pillar, mm -hmm. if you will, is providing resources, pulling together community resources that uh, or can all be found in one place. There are a lot of there are a lot of organizations that do that, but you still have to go searching for things. So part of our goal is to to put those either on our website, have paper copies of things, uh, so that if somebody does reach out, we can steer them in the right direction. So yeah, I think there's a there's a complementary lens to look through on this. First part of which is a is about the stigma because. What I have come to recognize in the short time that I've been involved with this is that people who struggle, right, whether you're formally diagnosed or not, kind of feel alone about this, right? It's in, in, it, in some cases, it's a loneliness that comes from, I don't know anybody else who's struggling, so I'm all alone, to the other side, which is, I'm really embarrassed to talk about this, so I feel alone. And so, and so the, the objective of reducing the stigma is to say, it's okay to talk about it, right? It's okay to admit that you're struggling or suffering because another perspective on, on, on mental suffering is it's, it's like knee surgery, right? If you say to somebody, oh, I've got to go in and get knee surgery, suddenly, you know, 50 people who have had knee surgery, right? It kind of comes out of the woodwork because you mentioned it. And, and I think the same thing is true about mental suffering. That if you say, I'm suffering from deep anxiety about this issue, you'll find that there are 20 people around you who are suffering from anxiety about the same issue. And there's a certain level of comfort that comes from knowing that you're not alone. Um, and it's okay to talk about it uh, because the, the simple fact of acknowledging is a sort of release, but there are people around you who want to support you. And unless they know that you need their support, you know, they may not know that they can give it to you. So, so this, so the stigma piece of this is really very critical to get not just the people who are suffering or afflicted, but the people who are around them that can support them free to talk about it. The other, the other aspect of this is providing a safe place to do this because it's not like going to a therapist where you pay real money to you know get guidance, but you just need a place where you can be yourself and know that there are others in the room who are having the same experience and others in the room who are willing to support you through the experience. So, so the other aspect of this that we offer is a safe place to come talk about it and just kind of be who you are with it. And then the third complimentary piece is Christ is always there in the suffering. And sometimes I think, and I have had this experience several times in my life, when you're struggling with something, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that Christ is there for you and with you. And so the other piece of the lens that I look through is helping people to recognize that Christ is there with them and he is a source of strength. And that's, and those are not just words. I think that's fascinating that you guys are going to be incorporating those who support people who are struggling because I feel like they're often ignored yeah. and they end up developing something yeah. on their own as if they don't, if, you know, they're struggling with not feeling good enough or being, not being able to help. I, I think that it's easy to lose sight of the fact that families 
of those who are afflicted with mental illness have a suffering that's unique to them and just as powerful and just as deep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so serving, serving those who are formally diagnosed and suffering and those who are loving and suffering as well is important. Absolutely. It's very critical. And it's a piece that I think we don't talk about very much in my own mental health journey. Some of the things that I've regularly heard that weren't inherently bad, but also weren't Mm -hmm. helpful were things like, Oh, you're not praying hard enough or, you know, you're surrounded by blessings. What do you have to be sad about? Which in turn made me feel guilty for wanting to seek out help. How is your ministry working to change the narrative? I think right now uh, what we're doing is, as a matter of fact, the the first piece of this program launches tomorrow evening. We're using a program called Sanctuary for Catholics. And the Sanctuary program, and again, in in collaboration with Deacon Schoner and, and his association, is a way to begin the discussion, uh, a way to come together in small groups or um, just on a weekly basis. There's like eight sessions of this. And to take a look at how we are listening or not listening, how are we communicating appropriately and supporting or how are we not? How is the language that we're using turning people away, or like you just mentioned, increasing that level of feeling guilty. You're not trying hard enough. You're not working hard enough. So the spiritual support groups and also the spirituality of this type of program is such that we understand, like Tim said, Christ is there with us in our suffering. He wants to walk that journey with us. He's not going to magically make it disappear. He could if he wanted to, but most likely not. And so we need to understand that we aren't alone with that. And we also need to understand, though, however, that those of us that are not struggling with an identified mental illness need to be able to be that support system for others. That it's not just, you know, you're not praying hard enough. Well, maybe if you'd come to church more or maybe you'd be, you know, you wouldn't, you know, keep yourself locked up in your room or, or all of those things that sometimes, like you mentioned, inherently aren't negative, but when they're heard in that perspective, they become part of an even deeper issue. So educating the parish at large um, with something like this program, just letting people know that there's there's a, a better way to approach and support those who are struggling. So for example, even just a change in the use of the language. You know, you wouldn't say to someone who's diagnosed with cancer, I've, I've had cancer. So friends of mine did not say, oh, well, you're cancer. I'm not cancer. I s- suffered from cancer. However, someone who's diagnosed with schizophrenia, for example, we say, oh, they're schizophrenic. They're bipolar. They're depressed. No, they're not. They're children of God who are carrying the burden of that suffering that we are called, just like you know, all of my friends who sent cards and flowers and provided meals when I was going through my cancer. We need to be able to walk that walk with those who are struggling with a mental illness. It's not a, it's not a physically perceived situation. So once we all begin to look at that, differently, which is a huge task. It's a a culture shift for many of us. But when we begin to take a look at mental illness and those types of issues from the perspective of it's a disorder, it's a disease, it's not the person. 
and I think that's a that's a huge key to begin with. Yeah, and and mental illness is a form of suffering, right? And I've read a lot of books on suffering and the doctors of the church and greater minds than mine have explored the topic and they all admit that there's no clear resolution as to why God permits suffering. Uh, they can't answer that question. But to the questions that you cited about, you know, you're surrounded by blessings. What do you have to be sad about? Nowhere have I ever seen it written or stated that you can't be richly blessed and suffer as well. So, so those things are not mutually exclusive. And, and from a certain point of view, depending upon how you respond to suffering, the suffering can turn out to be a blessing as well. So there's, a, there's, there's great theological depth in the questions that you asked, which I am not prepared to address. Uh, but it's, but to, to Donna's point, it's important, it's important not to dismiss those questions, but I think those questions are distracting. They take the focus away from where it needs to be. And I, I think just to kind of piggyback on something Tim mentioned too, the theological component, the sanctuary program deals with that specifically. There are sociological perspectives. Um, there's an educational perspective that is, goes on in each of the presentations, but there's also the theological perspective. And the um, sanctuary program itself, there's it, there are two. There's an ecumenical one, and then there's one specifically for Catholics. Um, the one that we're using, of course, is that one. But one of the things that this program is based on is the Psalms. And exactly what you mentioned, Tim, you can be suffering, but also in, at a point of blessing or blessing others through your suffering and how to understand that, how to not only if you are someone walking that journey of mental illness personally, but the family members and the people in the faith community, how what does it look like? to live your life with a diagnosis of schizophrenia or generalized anxiety disorder. So part of this program, there's a, there's a video vignette of someone speaking to their mental illness and explaining why they find it difficult to attend mass, why they find it difficult to interact at a party, why they find it difficult sometimes to get up out of bed and head off to work. And so when you look at, going back to the, the comments that Tim was making about looking through lenses, when you look at these situations and these life experiences through the lens of someone who's walking that out every day, where is the church in this? Where is faith in this? Where is God mm -hmm. in, in this, this suffering? Um, so that's why I think the sanctuary program does a beautiful job of, of, of hitting that component really, really well. Yes, it sounds like it is very it's going to be very beneficial for people who are struggling when and people who are supporting those who are struggling. Um, and I agree. I think it is going to be a huge culture shift to change the perspective of, you know, if you're physically ill, you would go see a doctor. So why wouldn't you take care of yourself mentally mm -hmm. and spiritually just mm -hmm. like you take care of the physical? Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be very important. And I'm actually really excited to hear <laughs> more about this program. So talk to me about how the spiritual and the clinical sides of your program will work hand in hand. 
Sure. Um, the first thing to, to remember and for us to remind everyone again is we are not clinical. We are not, there's no psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor. This is strictly spiritual. Um, we have people on our team who can refer um, to those kinds of needs. Uh, we have, like I said, we're putting together some resources. We know where to go to connect people. But that is not what this is about. The beautiful piece to this, though, is the how the spiritual and the clinical can work together very, very beautifully. In our area, we do have quite a number of Christian counselors. There's not as many Catholic ones as there are um, Christian, separate Christian uh, counselor counseling practices. But we do have those sources available. And I think one of the important things to remember is that that can be married together very beautifully. So I'll give you an example. Uh, my eldest son, and a little bit of background, my all, all four of my kids, my two sons and my two daughter-in-laws, do struggle with some sort of diagnosed mental illness, whether it's anxiety, anxiety and depression, OCD. And now my eldest son um, had a... Uh, near-death experience just over a year ago. I was actually in cardiac ICU down at Penn for all, over a month uh, for a condition that we, we no one knew he had and was actually told he qualified for a heart transplant at 35. So during that time, I was down in Philadelphia with his wife and his, his two young kids to just kind of support and be part of that. And one of the things that happened almost every day was discussion, phone discussion with the medical team and, of course, the cardiac team. And during that time, my daughter-in-law would have the phone on speaker and I would be listening and asking questions, taking notes. And the, there was part of a conversation that he was having with one of the specialists. And when he answered a question that she asked him, it triggered something in me. And I felt myself physically doubled over on the kitchen floor. It, it, it just, it was a past trauma that I had thought I had dealt with that wasn't something that I had even, it, it hadn't even approached my memory banks in years. I'm, I'm going to be 64. So this is something that happened is when I was much, much younger. And I found myself having what I would say was a panic attack. So I reached down to a friend who is one of these Christian counselors. As a matter of fact, he is, he is Catholic and uh, works for a, a a group called Day 7 Ministries, but he suggested finding a trauma therapist. And he connected me with a, um, a Christian counselor in the area who did just that. There was a, a, a procedure called EMDR, yes. uh, which is, is, is a technique that's used. And so this woman and I did that for quite, quite some time, for about four months. But at the same time, I also see a spiritual director. Okay, I myself am a, a spiritual director, so I'm in spiritual direction. And so when I shared this journey in spiritual direction, it was beautiful to me to see the hand of God in this because the things that I talked with with my spiritual director beautifully mirrored what I was experiencing using EMDR and when and, and with the with the therapist who I saw twice a month. And and so I physically and you know personally was able to see how the hand of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit came through the counseling sessions that I had, as well as then being able to share with the counselor what I did in spiritual direction and share with my spiritual director what I did in counseling. It just, it went together just hand in hand. 
The other beautiful piece to this, and, and I think, Tim, you mentioned blessings that come out of some of this. My son was struggling. He had been seeing a counselor for his anxiety and depression, but it was not meeting the needs of what we eventually determined was PTSD. And so because I was able to say to him, here's what I uncovered using this trauma therapy technique, you really ought to consider looking for a trauma therapist. Well, he has. And so now, you know, he's already sharing more with this trauma therapist every week than he shared with a traditional counselor in two years. And so it's really been beneficial. But for me to be able to personally walk that out and then share that with him, it, it made it even more okay. Here's mom, mom who we never thought would have any kind of issues. The, the person we always go to with our problems, being able to say, I'm struggling with this and I can't fix this. I can't do this by myself. Um, and yes, I'm a woman of prayer and a woman of faith and, and devotion, absolutely. But it, it needed to have more. It needed to have more. It wasn't a separate piece. It was a tandem piece. But I still needed that professional input at the same time. And so just being able to share that with him encouraged him to find it as well which has, has just been amazing. Um, and I see that as a true blessing coming out of the struggle that I was in, a benefit for sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the, you know, back to the pillars discussion, one of the fundamental things that we're going to build over time is a connection to professional resources. So if someone comes to the ministry to get grounded and, overcome the stigma and become a little more open in terms of acknowledging their struggle, should it come to the point where they say, I'd like to explore, you know, more professional therapy, then we'll have those connections uh, to make. We will have established a network of, of local counselors, uh, as Donna uh, described here. And um, and we will even, should the individual ask us, accompany them, right? Give them rides, you know, make arrangements, ensure that they get some, get the access they need. Uh, and the challenge, as Donna also mentioned earlier for us, is it, you know, for people who care deeply, it's easy to step over the fuzzy line between support and counseling, right? Or loving and trying to give therapy. Um, so, so one of the challenges for us, for me in particular, I think will be to stay on the loving side of the line because I am nowhere near qualified to give therapy. Yeah. My, one of my best friends is a, is a family therapist by trade. And whenever I'm calling her and I'm you know venting about my day, the, one of the first things she asked me is, do you want me to hear you or do you want me to help you? Yeah. And I love that. That's a you, great line. I yeah, love that you beautiful. guys are, you, you recognize mm -hmm. the fuzziness of that line. Yeah. Donna, I love that you talked about being able to humanize it because especially as parents, you know, we feel like we have to be these strong pillars and, you know, we're put up on a pedestal and sometimes it's more helpful for our kids to see us on an eye to eye level. Mm -hmm. But I love that your ministry is working to humanize people. You, we, we are human. We are imperfect, but there's nobody who's outside of help. 
Right. And, and, and just to follow up on what you just mentioned, too, the whole idea, and by the way, your, your children are the age of my grandchildren. They're, they're seven and four. Um, but one of the things I think we, we, we close ourselves off from allowing others to see our humanness. And when we do that, we're not reaching those children, that next generation, to help them be mentally healthy or to be able to reach out for help when they need it. They're going to need it at some point, whether they have a diagnosed mental illness, a diagnosed physical illness, or just a really bad day, like you said with your friend. We are doing them a disservice by not humanizing ourselves in front of other people. Um, and so I think when when we can stand up in front of a congregation or a group of friends or or wherever you are and say, I have this need, I have this struggle, I have this hole that needs to be filled. I, I think that just, it just makes it so much more, not, I, I want to say so much more Christian because obviously it's, it's taking that uh, sense of community that in the Catholic church, we are called to live and work in community and support each other in community. It's a big, huge piece of who we are. And so, you know, when we become like little children in that honesty and openness, we embrace the community and we support the community and build it up even more. There is a uh, concept, for lack of a better word, about brokenness and the fact that we as creatures come into the world broken and live in a world that is broken. And, and the brokenness is so pervasive, it's like the air we breathe, right? We take it for take it for granted. It's just kind of there and you lose a sense of it. And the brokenness shows up in countless ways. This is what we're talking about here in the mental health ministry is, is about one aspect of being broken. And, and I also think it's important for people to keep in mind or be aware of context, right? As, as a consultant, one of the things that I learned was take a step back, get a bigger view, take another step back, get a bigger view, take another step back, get a bigger view. And we find ourselves not just individually broken, but all of the institutions and organizations that we used to look to for grounding and foundation aren't giving us grounding and foundation anymore. So I think we're all awash in, in manifestations of this brokenness. And, uh, and, and what we're trying to do is to you know, carve out a little piece that we think we can help with. I love what you said about brokenness. I actually interviewed um, Sister Geraldine last week, and she talked about uh, this Japanese tradition of the tea ceremony is very important. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that even when the teacups break, they don't throw them out. They actually repair them with gold. And she likened it to uh, the gold being like the grace of God and healing our brokenness. And hearing you talk about the brokenness of mental illness isn't exactly it's nothing is unfixable. Right. It can be fixed and sometimes it can be made better and more valuable. So I love that. Your program is just beginning, but what is your long-term goal? 
Well, I can I can speak to some of the things that I've talked about with Father Persing, our pastor, um, and we actually had a meeting, a Zoom meeting yesterday with Deacon Schoner. Mm-hmm. We touch base frequently with him. One of the things that we would love to be able to see with this ministry, not only the specific outreach to those who need support because they have an identified mental illness, because they're a family member dealing with those who do, but to take this umbrella of mental health and and be able to pull in other ministries underneath that large umbrella so that we can all see how it fits together. So for example, grief support ministry. Uh, we have a very active caregiver support ministry. I just talked with that per- the person who's the coordinator for that ministry just yesterday after their meeting. And, and we talked about this whole thing of mental health is something that needs to be addressed from so many different aspects. It, we, we are called to be not only physical creatures, but emotional creatures and spiritual creatures. And when we are healthy, just a, in a state of well-being, we are addressing all those pieces. So under the umbrella of mental health ministry and looking, like you said, out long-term goal, long-term out into the future, we would like to see those organizations and those ministries that are specific to improving mental health in people's situations, life situations, like the grief support, like the role of the caregiver, um, a a mother who has lost a child, you know, um, whether it's shortly after birth or through miscarriage. We're missing those segments of our faith community, those, those groups that we forget do need support. On the outset, they, they appear okay. You know, they appear like, well, she's moving forward with this. Or, yes, they understand they've just lost a loved one, but they have family. You know, no, they still have those needs to be able to uh, come together and be in a supportive environment um, in order to maintain that mental stability. So if they do find themselves in need, they're falling into depression, they're falling into anxiety or panic attacks at, at memories or whatever it is, that we have a place for those people to go. So we'd like to be able to expand those offerings as well underneath the umbrella of the mental health ministry. Um, so yes, right now our focus is getting these small groups up and running and, and dealing with the stigma of mental illness and understanding of what it is to have a mental illness, but also then eventually to expanding it to improve, include a lot of different um, small groups. I think uh, from a personal vantage point, uh, this is going to be tough. Uh, I think that people need a place of respite and refuge, especially those who are suffering from from mental illness. So I think if I were to write a long-term goal, it would be I'd like to have the ministry and the parish establish a reputation as the place you can go to be safe, the place you can go to for refuge, the place you can go to and be broken and it's okay. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, in a and, nutshell. And that, that's beautiful. And yeah. that's exactly what we're looking for. You know, we're, we're hoping to eventually um, offer retreats for young moms mm-hmm. to just have a day away. Um, that would have been so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so nice oh, when so I was a brand new mom. Right. right. <laughs> and just, but, but just to bring people together, like Tim said, 
in a place of safety, in a place of support, in a place of companionship, which is what church is called to be. So I'm looking at this as church without walls, church beyond the walls, church in, in the community, but church as who we are called to be. And in, in, in the point of community, I think, is worth expounding on a little bit here because we are a Catholic church in a Catholic parish and the ministry that we are crafting here is highly influenced and structured around Catholic concepts. But it's important for people listening to this podcast to know that we're not out to convert people. Mm, we're not absolutely. out to proselytize people. We're not out to advertise the Catholic faith as being the place you need to be, right? This is a Catholic-shaped ministry that welcomes and embraces everyone regardless. So, you know, if you're broken, come here. You'll be safe. That is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is, it's true. I, I feel like people who aren't Catholic might be afraid yeah. of being evangelized, you know, not that that's anything to be afraid of, yeah. but yeah. it it's not something to be turned off by, especially if you're needing help. Right. Um, so thank you for mentioning that. Where can people go to learn more about the program? Well, we have a lot of different places. Our parish is very active online and through social media. So I would say the first place to go to would be our website. Uh, very simple. It's uh, www.steas.net. Stands for St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. So steas.net. Um, we also are active on Facebook and uh, uh, just online. We do an online e-newsletter. So lots of places online that you can uh, can attach information. The easiest thing to do if anyone has any questions would be to email me um, as pastoral assistant. And we, uh, because my last name is Nevistinsky, we shortened my email <laughs> address to simply just be Donna at Steez.net. We also are creating a separate page on our website for the mental health ministry. There's contact information listed there. If someone would prefer to uh, reach out anonymously, there is a dedicated email address for that. It's just MHM, which of course stands for Mental Health Ministry, Mental Health MHM at Steez.net, because that is the name of our ministry. Yeah, yeah. It simply is. Mental Health Ministry at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish. Um, and, and that was the, um, because that's the goal, because that's the focus, that was the name we came up with. Nothing, nothing kitschy or, 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 or tricky. So again, you know, just looking at our website, our parish website, looking at uh, sending an email to me, Donna at steez.net, or an anonymous email to mhm at steez.net. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes for anybody listening online. Great. That'd be perfect. If other parishes wanted to create a program like this, how, how would they get started? I think the, uh, the first place they should go is to the website for the Association for Catholic Mental Health Ministers. 
which I think is acmhm.org. Uh, no, it's a little bit different. It's catholicmhm.org. Catholicmhm.org. And, and I can give you that yeah. link. Yeah. Um, and they are actually linked from our website. Yeah. So even if, you, if they just went to our website. Uh, that is Deacon Schoner's home base mm-hmm. for his association. And, of course, again, anybody that would like some more information can certainly reach out to us at the parish. Right. Um, Tim or I would be happy to to um, you know chat with anybody and, and um, you know talk about what it took and how we ended up here and where to go from there. That's that would be the easiest thing to do, I think. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to share this brand new program with me. And I hope that anybody who needed to hear this heard it and is able to come and take part in this ministry. Thank you. We hope so too. Yeah, we hope yeah. so too. That's our goal and, and that's our hope. It's a, And just one, one quick little ending piece here. I know that you mentioned that this is scheduled to broadcast, I believe, on the 15th Correct. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 15th is the feast day of St. Dymphna. St. Dymphna is one of the patron saints associated with those who suffer from a mental illness or from um, neurological impairments as well. She's got a wonderful story about her life and how she ended up in that role. Um, And we do weekly video reflections for the parish. That will be the one that I'm doing this weekend is on the background and information about St. Dymphna. So it's it's another gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Another reason I feel this ministry for us has truly been anointed. There's been way too many things to count them as simply coincidence. So, yes. Yeah. Coincidences are when God performs a miracle and decides to remain anonymous. Absolutely. Because I absolutely did not plan to release this on St. Dymphna's Day. Yeah, it is the feast day of St. Dymphna. So. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, The easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.